Welcome to Cookie the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast for foodie book lovers, where food is the story. And for the whole of May, it's sponsored by City Books, Brighton and Hove's largest and liveliest independent bookshop. You can order any of the books from them by emailing info at city-books.co.uk or via their website, city-books.co.uk slash ordering. This week, I'm with award-winning author Joe Thomas, whose Escape to the French Farmhouse is the perfect lockdown read if you need the smell of lavender to take you to Provence. But all her books start with food. The Oyster Catcher sold over 100,000 copies, winning the Romantic Novelist's John Hessian Award and the Festival of Romance's Best Ebook. And she told me about the moment she realised that food and romance could be the key to her writing career. When I first started writing, I wasn't sure what I wanted to write about. And uh, people kept saying to me, write about what you know. And I thought, I don't really know anything. I haven't got some amazing hobby. What do I like? And the only thing I could think about was that I loved food. But I'm not some kind of chef. I haven't got fancy knives. I'm not a farmer. And I thought, I can't write about food. And then it kept coming back to me that I did love the idea of learning about food and where my food came from. And that's how it sort of started. So I'd started writing, but I still hadn't really formed the idea. But uh, we went to work, went to live in Galway. It was supposed to be for a year. My husband uh, was offered a job out there and we were all invited out to go and stay with him. So I moved myself and the three children, uh, who were Welsh speaking at the time. Uh, We moved to Galway. I didn't realise that we couldn't get them in English-speaking school, so I had to put them into Irish-speaking school. Um, And uh, so I dropped them off at school every day, crying. And then I'd drive down the coast path, crying. And then I'd pull up at the the beach and think, uh, well, you know, you can either sit here and do nothing, or you can write. So I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to write something. And I was still very unsure about being there. And it rained and rained and rained all the time we were there. And so my husband took me to this seafood restaurant. And it was a little cottage at the end of a pier, a fisherman's cottage. And you walked in and the fire was lit. The candles were all lit. And it was like walking into somebody's front room. And they sat us in the window and there was a candle there. And just for a short time, it stopped raining. And as I sat there, the moon came out and this silver streak came across the water and I sat there and I was served a plate of local oysters and I ate these oysters and I looked out at Galway Bay and I thought oh this is what Galway Bay is all about and I ate those oysters and I thought this is sexy this is what I want to write about. And so I started to um, investigate the oyster, the shell shuckers, as it were. And that's not easy to say when you've had a drink or two. But I started (laughs) to investigate uh, the oyster shell shuckers and the competitions and how important oysters were to the whole area during the time of the famine. And I suddenly realised something that I had known, but I hadn't really taken on board, that As soon as you discover the food of a place, it takes you by the hand and it leads you into the history of the place, the community and the people. And I thought, that's what I want to start writing about. And so I started to learn about oysters and did everything I could to discover about oysters and and sat there every day. I still didn't move out of my car. I still didn't go home. Sat there every day while the children were in school. And I wrote The Oyster Catcher. And so that was the first of my books. 
which went on to win the Romantic Novelist's Joan Hesseyan Award. Congratulations. That is fantastic. And I'm not surprised because, you know, the minute I started reading uh, Escape to the French Farmhouse, set in Provence, it was raining and I was looking out over the, out the window and I was immediately taken to Provence. I could smell it. It's full of lavender. It's full of wine. It's full of wonderful, typical French food that we know. If you only have to have been to Provence once in your life or even have read something about Provence to be absolutely transported there. Food for you is place, isn't it? Absolutely. I finished writing The Oyster Catcher and I realised at that point that that is how I wanted to explore stories through the food of a place. Uh, and so my brother at the time was living in Puglia in southern Italy and had a small olive grove and I wanted to write about the olive harvest so um, I did a couple of trips out to Puglia and we went to my favourite restaurant Entre Terra uh, and of the earth and it's set in an olive grove and it's a family farm and at the end of the meal the owner sat down with us and, and he put down the glasses of limoncello and he said to me he didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any Italian but we did this wonderful sort of combination you know of uh, of managing to make ourselves understood and he said to me what kind of books do you write and I said I write romance but I write about food and I write about family and he said to me he said for me he said it's all about the food that we grow here and he threw out his arm he said to cook in the forno, you know, and he pointed to the wonderful forno that was glowing. He said, to put on the table, and he banged the table. And then he said, for the ones we love, and he banged his chest for the ones we love. And I said, that is exactly what I write about. I said, because it's about the food that we grow, that we cook for the ones we love. Um, and, and that's what my stories are all about. They start at the kitchen table uh, and... and um, the love that goes on around it, the arguments, you know, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the journeys. Well, with I mean, a, with a busy household, that's where life happens. Well, it does, but it starts. The escape to the French farmhouse actually starts with. Uh, a rupture. A uh, husband and wife have bought this fantastic mass in uh, Provence and they were looking forward to a fabulous life there together, but they don't. They decide that it's not going to work for them and they're, they're literally moving out at the beginning of the book. And she decides, actually, she's not going to go home with him. And that's your beginning. And you've got a woman who is cast into this kind of precarious existence she's got no means of supporting herself she's got the mass to live in but it hasn't got any furniture in because that's already going back to england with the husband she hasn't got a relationship she hasn't got any friends there's no belonging so actually what you're using food to do is to give her a sense of place and belonging absolutely and i think that's so important uh, wherever you are I, I, my default position is always to cook. If I'm feeling stressed, if I'm feeling worried, I cook. As I say, I'm not a great cook. I'm a home cook, you know, and, and, and I'm, you know, the family laugh and call me a feeder. Um, but I, I love to cook. So when we did live in Galway, you know, I remember Friday nights were about going and buying the Galway Bay prawns from the market that we would all dig into and lovely seeing the children, you know, really enjoying those. Um, and, what I realised I used to do before Kindles was I would go on holiday 
and actually pack cookery books in my suitcase. Nigel Slater has been everywhere with me. <laughs> and, and so I would go with cookery books. And then for me to discover the market, to get your hands on the produce and cook in a kitchen of these places to me is just utter utter joy Um, and that's when I realized that I was starting to discover that I wanted to travel through food and and people's journeys I do think are often through food you often cook your way through them and find comfort in them you connect to relatives mm. through food. We've all got food memories of our past. And at times like this, I think we, we are connecting with food that our, our, our parents made for us or, or happier times when we, we've cooked and eaten together. Yeah, it's, it's a recipe book that's actually at the centre of this. Della finds is given a recipe book by a rather hunky guy called Fabian who runs the Brocante. And it is full of recipes made with lavender. And it turns out that the mass that she's living in was once a beautiful lavender farm. What, tell us about the idea behind that. And perhaps you'd like to read a little bit of that moment. Sure. I, I had the idea of lavender. I love Provence. And um, this whole book is, is a bit of a love affair for me with times that I spent in France, from childhood camping holidays to... Um, Oh, then being sent away sort of on teenage adventure holidays to France. And then I did go and live in France, uh, in Provence, as a waitress and work there. And I wanted to write about Provence. And lavender, I thought, is a really unusual ingredient. Um, As I say, all my books start with, it's a bit like walking into the pantry of an evening. I know what I've got as my main ingredient. And then I try and work out what I'm actually going to cook. So like tonight, I might cook Greek and I've got you know, herbs or whatever, and then I add from there. So I knew at the heart of it I wanted lavender and to explore um, cooking with lavender, which, you know, is really, has gone out of fashion, but I think it's coming back a bit, particularly in patisserie. Um, cooking lamb with lavender is just <laughs> wonderful. Um, and you use it, you have to use it quite delicately because it can be overpowering, but it adds a lovely flavour. And one of the things I love to do when I go abroad Um, especially now, is to do a cookery class. And for this book, I went away with another writer, Katie Ford, and we did a cookery class and explained that we wanted to cook with lavender. And this wonderful chef came to our home. He spoke no English, you know, and our French was... um, And it was just a wonderful experience of us having this, this shared language of food, him teaching us how to cook with not having the same language and then eating together and enjoying it with a glass of rosé, of course, you know. So lavender is at the heart of this book. And um, so I knew I wanted an old lavender farm and I wanted it to be somewhere that um, that heals people, you know, that they can come to and and heal. So this is... And also I wanted the idea of... I You hear lots of books about people writing about couples moving to France and starting over. And I wanted to explore what happens when that all just six weeks later comes to an end, because that did happen for us. We, my, my husband and I did move to a house that I'd had this idea of moving to and wanted to. Six weeks later, we put it back on the market. <laughs> so, um, And I realised that it wasn't about the house and where we were. It was about other stuff in life. you know. So this might so. have been you in a parallel universe. Yes, That's interesting. yes. Oh, we, 
okay. We did go, oh, there's always a bit of me in these books, you know, <laughs> the mistakes I can make are phenomenal. Um, I can get myself into trouble in, a, in an empty room. And so, yes, we did end up packing up all our stuff, moving lock, stock and barrel, and then six weeks later, moving back again. Um, so this is her when she stood in the empty house and she hasn't gone back because it wasn't about the move at all. Uh, and she's been given this beautiful cookery book about lavender, about the area. So I turn on the oven. I hard, I've hardly used it in the weeks we've been here. Bread, tomatoes and cheese seem to have been our staple diet when we weren't eating out. Ollie complaining about the prices. We could have eaten in far cheaper places than the brasserie, in the middle of town, that charged a supplement for its location. In the box of utensils, for which Fabian charged me next to nothing, I find a chipped old mixing bowl and an electric whisk. I plug it in and switch it on. It works. I start to cream together the butter, sugar and vanilla extract. Then I separate the eggs. The oaks are as orange as the brilliant sun and I whisk each one into the butter mixture. I add the egg whites and when they've incorporated, I turn back to the book. I'm pretty sure it's telling me to fold in the flour. If I do a recipe a day, my French is bound to come on. I add the flour and now for the lavender. And as I focus on what I'm doing, I'm thinking less about Ollie and our life together. The memories that have kept me awake at night are of the good times before we drifted apart. I'm not missing my mum as much as I realise that cooking makes me feel close to her. I can feel her with me in this kitchen. I step outside into the sunshine and onto the terrace overlooking the field and pick a few sprigs of lavender. I have no idea how much I'm supposed to use or whether I can use it fresh, but nothing ventured, nothing gained. I go back into the kitchen and run my fingers down the lavender stems and the little flowers fall off. I scoop them up and sprinkle them into the dough, much as I would if I was using rosemary. I'm cautious with the lavender. I have no idea how it will taste. And actually, what happens with those particular twills? Other, they don't work the first time. Of course they don't work the first time. How could <laughs> life be that perfect? And I'm glad it's not. It's, I wouldn't have liked her at all if she'd made the very first biscuits perfectly. But she does. She keeps going. She's a real trooper, is Della, isn't she? she is, oh, yes. She is somebody who really finds her way to the heart of the community. And she makes life work for herself. She's, she's a good person and good, authentic people. People tend to get liked and make friends easily. And that's what she does. Luckily, the place is small enough that she manages to find the right people. And one of the people that she meets first, who gives her the recipe book in the first place, is Fabian, who is the hunk. Tell us a little bit about him. I love Fabian. Fabian. (laughs) We all do. (laughs) I love Fabian. And he's a little bit younger than Mm. her. And he has um, dark curly hair, wears this battered leather jacket and, of course, a bit of a a neckerchief. And um, he runs the brocante and and drives a battered old truck and is very kind to her. Uh, and, um, And I wanted to explore the relationship between somebody who meets someone at totally the wrong time in their life and possibly on paper is totally the wrong person, but actually... You, you can't help who you fall in love with. And uh, so that's their story. And and th- there is, a, you know, another character in the book who would be far more suitable for her. <laughs> Henri. But, um, Henri, yeah. 
but uh, it's Fabia, she can't get out of her mind. And it's him who encourages her. You know, she, she bakes for him the first time and, and encourages her to keep going. And as I say, I think that often in times of stress, you know, cookery and recipes can become the map of our future and our life. And and she's very driven because she doesn't actually know where else to put her energies into at the moment. She's totally lost and yet has a lot of energy and determination. And so it all gets pushed into a recipe a day. And Fabian is also the the link to the the real village life for her. There are the the expat crew who totter around in their their shoes and their white jeans. Um and they are living the the typical sort of expat life and she's really keen not to be part of that world. And Fabian sort of is like the he's like the rock, isn't he? He's the, he represents what she could have if she learns to speak the language, she learns to cook the local food and eat the local food and hang out with the locals. I'm, I'm particularly interested in this coming out just after Brexit. I mean, how much was that on your mind? <laughs> well, it was, of course, always there. <laughs> um, but I do think that wherever you go, you have to, you know, if you've decided to live there, then of course you have to make the effort. You want you want to live there for a reason. Um, I made the move to Wales 30 odd years ago um, and I speak some Welsh. I then moved my children to Ireland <laughs> and I learned my Irish, you know, on the sidelines of the, the, the Gaelic football, you know. And I think a bit of it might be a bit bit rough actually uh, but um but but I was always of the opinion that you should go in and try and as I say through exploring the food you start to learn about the place and 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 be a part of the, of the fabric of the place and so the food and the language takes you together into the being part of the fabric of the place I think yeah but you do, it is through those those two types of people you know the, the expat ladies who have the pub quiz and and through Della getting very involved with the local market where she finds her first job it is about division um and I wonder as somebody who's actually lived in Provence did you did you come across that very much I think there is division there is division. There, there, there are people who want to go and live abroad, but still very much live the life they had at home. And then there are those who just want to live as part of the community. And and I think it's wonderful when both sides embrace the other. You know, I think um, uh, you see, you know, communities coming together and, and, and embrace each other's culture very much, which I think is, is lovely. But no, I think there is definitely a divide of... I come here and I want it to be as I was, as it was at home. Um, it always makes me smile when you see, you know, an, an you know an English aisle in the supermarket with baked beans and marmite. Yes, absolutely. Um, but uh, so the, I think those divisions are there. Yes. And Della kind of represents the she's their sort of nemesis, isn't she? Because she's going in deep and yes. uh, falling in love with the local <laughs> hunk. They must be spitting feathers. Um, your second food moment when she starts to cook the from the recipe book and get it right. Tell us about the chocolate gâteau that warms Fabian's heart. Oh, yes. Well, so, yes, she starts to cook every day. Um, 
So I spend the next week trying to decipher the recipes in the book and testing them, a new one every day. Each morning I get up and turn the next page in the book, as if I'm opening the window in an advent calendar. It's the reason I need to get out of bed, and with every recipe I feel as if my mum is in the kitchen with me. On Tuesday, I make shortbread. It's crumbly and buttery, just as it should be, and I think I've conquered the oven. On Wednesday, I attempt macarons, which come out of the oven a bit wonky. Thursday is a chocolate gateau with lavender, and on Friday, I make apricot jam with apricots from the greengrocer in the town and lavender from the hedge in the garden, and use some to fill a, a sponge cake. Each day I walk down to the river path with my bake and deliver it to Fabian at the, at the Brocante, where Karine joins us for coffee. We all agree the macarons need practice. The chocolate gatto is delicious, rich, moist and floral, but too crisp on one edge. I may need to turn the next one around during cooking. The brilliant orange jam could be sold in jars and display its bright colour, like the sun with the flecks of lavender, Provence in a jar. She starts to sell her wares at the local village market. Now, I wondered if this was a bit of a leap, Joe. You know, <laughs> Della is, you know, she's not fluent in the language. She could barely cook this for, for, when she first got the recipe book. But suddenly she's got a stall. How did, She's got a contact. She's got a contact, which makes it all work, which is why I said, you know, luckily the village is so small. <laughs> you get to, as soon as you get to know one person, you, you are yes. in. Can life be that easy? Her new friend is Karine, who is the local estate agent. Now, Karine knows everybody and has many friends, close friends. Karine likes to uh, not commit to a relationship, shall we say, and she has close friends. And one of those is, is the mayor. So she has contacts and she is also Fabian's best friend. So together, Karine has seen in her that she likes her, her chutzpah, and she likes her go-getting. And, and so together, they, uh, she decides that she does want to help. And, I mean, as I say, she can't get a job in a shop. She can't get a job in a restaurant. But a stall at the market, selling her wares and appealing to the tourists and telling them about the lavender that used to grow around the area um, seems to be just about the right level where she can make a start in life out there. One of the most important people for her is Henri. He's probably more a suitable candidate for her for romance he's a feeder like she is and on this particular day this momentous day where she's had her first day at the market she lunches for the first time by herself take us through that third food moment i think eating by yourself is is a very brave thing to do it's not something i've done a lot but i did do it last summer there was a place that i would go to i would work and then walk to with my kindle and have my glass of rosé and my lunch and people would walk past and say oh that looks lovely you've got it right and i think well you know you go to a market in france and you will see many women and men sitting and lunch on their own enjoying the atmosphere enjoying the food so i wanted that to be part of her journey that she could sit on her own. So this is when she first sits and eats on her own. I look down at Ralph and do exactly as I'm told. I, I attempt to enjoy, but I can't stop thinking about the young lad who stole from my stall. It didn't seem like a prank or a dare, and there were no other youngsters around. 
Why was Cora so wound up? And who owns the thing he dropped? The questions scratch at my brain. I finish the morsels of toast and my first glass of wine without really noticing. Henri arrives and breaks into my thoughts. Boeuf bourguignon, he says, and puts down a round white bowl with a basket of sliced bread. Soft flaking beef, orange carrots, a deep rich brown gravy, gravy and herbs that remind me of my walk into town. Herbs de Provence. My mouth waters. Then he pours me another glass of wine and I feel quite lightheaded, as if my worries were drifting away. I may not have made a fortune today, but enough to pay Fabian back a little of what I owe him on account. And once again, I feel honoured that he's put his trust in me. I've been welcomed far enough into the community to be running a tab. He trusts me enough to believe that I can get this business up and running. I have somewhere to live and plans for the future. That can't be a bad place to be. The sun, the food and of course the second glass of wine have lifted my spirits. I wonder what my friends would say if they could see me now, having lunch on my own, planning the next phase of my life. I wonder what my mum would have said. It's a wonderful moment of reckoning. She's, But just before this, on her first day at the market stall, something's happened that's completely changed the plot line. Tell us what happens. Oh, Stephanie. Um, yes, Stephanie. The first time we meet Stephanie, I can't help but say it like that because of Escape to the Chateau, mm. where um, Stephanie's <laughs> mother. <laughs> um, so uh, she actually does. She steals from uh, her stall and the, there's chaos everywhere. And um, But she drops something very important. And this is also, it's a big turning day for Dell because it's, it's also um, the first day that she eats on her own. She sits in a restaurant and eats on her own. Uh, and so it's a big day for her, but she does go and ask where this girl might have come from. And, uh, and why there seems to be a sort of acceptance that nobody's up in arms, that there is a thief in, in the area. And... And Henri, uh, the, the bistro owner, says, well, sometimes people don't mean to do bad things, you know. They just have to do what they feel they have to do. And she goes to find Stephanie, who uh, she believes is a boy to start with. And she's living in, basically, um, a, a, a squalid little room. Uh, and because not everywhere, although we have this image that everywhere in France is beautiful and, you know, there are, you know, there's, as I say, there's a blend wherever you go of different lifestyles. And um, she just feels, and at this moment in her life, where she has a lot of maternal feelings to give, she just, and, and she just can't leave this young girl in this state. And so she offers her a job. And that drives her even more, that she has to get this business up and running because suddenly she's offered this girl... Why would she offer her a job? But she just knows she can't leave this young girl in the situation she's in. And so that drives her even more to get the business up and running. Um, And it's very prickly to start with the relationship. Um, But they start to bond through, again, the recipe book. And through that... We have Stephanie teaching Dell to speak French and we have Dell teaching Stephanie to cook because, uh, you know, Stephanie points out not everyone has this wonderful French upbringing of wonderful food and learning to cook at their mother's, you know, apron strings. And so they start to form a lovely, lovely friendship. 
uh, and a bond. I mean, it's interesting that you say that she's had some maternal issues. I mean, the the maternal issue is absolutely driving the the whole book. I think uh, she's a feeder for a start. She hasn't. One of the problems probably with the, the marriage was that she wasn't able to have a baby. Um, she is aching to feed her own. And Stephanie and Thomas, Stephanie's little son, come and live with her in the mass. And they've become a little family. And things are difficult. And I love the, the Stephanie and Thomas characters because they represent that life isn't always so sunny in Provence. But through food, again, it, people can be nurtured and nourished. Food is love and that's all they need. Let's go to your final food moment where Stephanie, Thomas and Dell are cooking together for the first time. Yeah. So Stephanie and Thomas um, have moved in. And as I say, we've got this rather mutual agreement because Stephanie is incredibly proud and she won't take charity. So she's she is determined that she is going to teach Dell French and, you know, and she won't take as I say, any charity she needs to give as well. Uh, and they have moved in. And as I say, Dell has offered her a job. Um, so they need to work together. The following day, Stephanie, Thomas and I slip quickly into our routine. He pulls over his chair. Then she holds onto him and reads out the recipe. I get out the ingredients and Stephanie insists that I attempt to read the recipe out loud in French while she weighs everything. We give Thomas a little bowl of flour to play with. After making much improved macarons, bite-sized swirls of soft-scented crunchy white meringue with the floral hit of lavender, we deliver them to Henri for lunchtime. I watch his delight at hearing Stephanie explain how we made them and seeing Thomas choose a lolly from the freezer. I may not be used to children, but I do remember the joy of ice lollies when I was a child. And I promise to attempt homemade sorbet and ice cream for Henri soon. It's a wonderful way of really breathing in the lavender air of Provence and tasting its food. It's also about meeting the various types of people who go there, including, as I said, the English expats. Why did her best friends choose to... They were sent by her husband to check up on her. And I loved the unravelling of their head hairdos and their perfect nail varnish <laughs> and their shoes went from high heels to sandals. Why was it so important to get them to be seduced by this place too? Um, well, they just lived, I, you know, I, because you, you, you don't live in a bubble. You know, when you disappear off somewhere and try and go off grid, there's going to be people who are, you know, wondering about you. And as you say, uh, her husband says, she's gone absolutely loopy. Go and check on her for me. Bring her home. And of course, they realise that her going home is totally the wrong thing and that she's in an absolutely beautiful place and has found herself and they both have their own journeys to go on as well um so um you have um you know one of them was uh, widowed young and uh, another one brought up her children on her own and whilst they are both again gutsy women who have continued with life 
sometimes it's very rare, but you can get a, an, an opportunity to change the direction of your life. And, and, you know, the brave people take the opportunity, as it were, and, and it's not too late to, to go off down a different path. And I wanted them to have a new path for themselves as well. And where they had been, you know, traveling along perfectly well, you know, well, why not have the opportunity to live a little and go off on a new direction? It's about tasting new things, isn't it? It's about the impact of tasting new things. It's the food is deeper than that. It's it's not just something to try and talk about and send a, take a picture of and put on Instagram. It's much, much deeper. It is transforming. It's the map and the journey. Yeah. Um, it really totally took me there. I'm just wondering, if, as an isolation read, it's just a wonderful way of people to get out of lockdown and, and get off to Provence. Joe Thomas, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, do please rate and review the podcast and share where you can. And I'll see you next week.